the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, hello, everyone. This is Al Fadi, and I'd like to welcome you to another special uh, podcast of Let Us Reason, where we are also uh, live streaming right now on Facebook. And of course, I'd like to welcome our viewers on Facebook as well. Thank you so much, of course, for being with us, for taking the time to wait on us. Uh, Sometimes we encounter uh, certain technical difficulties that might delay us for a minute or so. But overall, I hope you've been enjoying uh, the live streaming we've done in the last couple of days. And also, uh, if you haven't uh, basically watched our live streaming yesterday in the evening at David Wood's uh, YouTube channel, Act 17 Apologetics, please go and watch that as well. Today as well, at 3 o'clock Eastern Time, we will be live streaming on David's YouTube channel, Acts 17. Of course, with me here right now is our dear brother, David Wood. And uh, I want to, of course, welcome those of you who are listening to Let Us Reason. This is, again, another one of those special editions where we do both live stream and at the same time, we do a podcast. The live stream this time is being done on our Facebook page, alfadi.sira. You can always go to our YouTube channel, uh, of course, to watch any of our YouTube videos, which is Sira International. And if you want to also go and listen to the previous podcast, you can do so by going to our uh, website, sirainternational.com. David, welcome, of course, and uh, thank you for joining us in this uh, special edition of Let Us Reason. Good to be here. So, David, uh, you know, let's tell our audience the the stuff that we've been doing so far. Well, it's pretty horrifying. So uh, we mentioned, uh, I think we mentioned yesterday that we're working on a series where um, it's it's more for it's more for um, ex-Muslims who are inclined towards atheism and for people who uh, want to have conversations with ex-Muslims who are becoming atheists. So. Um, the, the basic idea of the series is that you have Muslims and they believe that Muhammad is the greatest man who ever lived. They're, they've been told all their lives that Muhammad is the greatest man who ever lived. And then they start finding out things like he had sex with a nine-year-old girl. He took the wife of his own adopted son. Um, he uh, allowed his followers to beat their wives into submission. He himself would beat his wives. Um, he had sex with uh, his slave girl. He pr- then promised his wives that he would stop having sex with his slave girl. Then he receives a revelation uh, telling him it's okay to break that oath and to go back to having sex with his slave girl and so on. Uh, so they look at all these things, and, you know, that's just the, the issues with women. But then you can turn to issues with violence, you know, killing apostates, you know, waging terrorist attacks and things like that. They look at this and they say, 
is this guy really the pattern of conduct for humanity? And they can't reconcile all the horrible things Muhammad did with their belief that that uh, Muhammad is the greatest man who ever lived. And so many Muslims leave Islam. They, re- they reject Muhammad as a prophet. They leave Islam. Some of those Muslims, uh, after leaving Islam, become atheists. And they think that because they're atheists now, they've, they're, they're, they've gotten rid of the problem. They no longer have this, this tension. But there's a new kind of tension. There's a new ty- type of ke- uh, uh, tension, a new type of inconsistency that arises. Namely, that <clears throat> they believe that all these things Muhammad did are actually seriously wrong. They're legitimately wrong. They're objectively wrong. It's not just my feelings that these things are wrong. Muhammad did things that are actually immoral and evil, things that no human being, regardless of his culture, right. should do. But they don't realize that according to atheism, there's no foundation for that. There's no real foundation in atheism for saying that that behavior is objectively immoral. You can say you don't like it. You can say that my culture teaches that it's wrong. You can say that, uh, you know, I personally don't, I I personally wouldn't do that. You can say things like that, but you can't say that it's, uh, it's completely evil or completely immoral that no one should ever be allowed to do that sort of thing because you just don't have those, those, those kinds of resources given atheism. And so we basically want to draw attention to that for Muslims who are leaving Islam and becoming atheists. We want to point out, Hey, don't think that you're getting away from these, this problem of Muhammad's immorality. You're not getting away from it. It's just transforming into a different kind of problem. Now you have no basis for condemning his behavior as immoral. Now, David, I mean, okay, we understand uh, a Muslim who leaves uh, Islam and calls themselves atheist. They're really not so sure yet what atheism is anyway. So we're helping him now realize what's going on in there. But someone who is, uh, you know, naturally, you know, calling themselves uh, atheist from day one, or maybe they they understand what atheism is all about in a Western culture. Why would they feel troubled by actions like this by Muhammad? I mean, what, what, what is prompting them to do this? I mean, you and I know the answer to this, but I'm saying from their perspective, why are they troubled? Well, uh, I mean, if you're talking about, if you ask them, uh, lots of atheists will just say, hey, I, I just know. I just have a moral compass. I just know right and wrong behavior. The problem with that is that what you view as right and wrong tends to do a lot with the culture you're raised in, right? Um, We've we've pointed this out before. Um, what a twenty year old guy in a you know a village in Pakistan thinks is really really wrong behavior is very different from what a twenty year old um, you know person in a town in the United States. They'll both have strong feelings about their views about right and wrong. They'll both have strong feelings, and they'll both condemn various types of behavior. But they're going to contradict each other. So the question is is who's right? So your average atheist in the West thinks he's right about what's what's right and wrong. But when we, when we ask, hey, what, what's your basis for saying that, you, you never get beyond their feelings or their culture as far as their, as far as their justifications. And so that's a problem. That's a problem that they think there's this basis for condemning various types of behavior, and there just is none. But your average atheist, he, he doesn't realize that. So just to be, cl- just to be clear, when we're, say, when we're saying there's no foundation, because people always, always, always misunderstand this, I've never met anyone who says that um, – if you're an atheist, you're 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 somehow you know more immoral than than other people or something like that. I've never met anyone who said that. Right? You you can meet you know you know you can meet atheists who are doing very good things in the world, helping people, dedicating their lives to helping people. That's not the point. The point is, what in the world do these terms like good and and bad and right and wrong mean? 
the meaning has to change. The meaning of these terms have to, has to change. When we say that this behavior is right, we're saying that there is a moral standard and that this th- this matches up to it. Or if we say that this is wrong, we're saying that there's a moral standard of right and wrong, and this doesn't doesn't line up with that. If you're an atheist, you you ha- you don't have that kind of standard available to you, so you have to change the meaning of the term. And so what, are you, what is the actual meaning according to your worldview? Is it you have certain feelings about this behavior mm-hmm. or your culture doesn't like that behavior or something like that? You have to tell us what you mean. But whatever you mean, you can't mean that it's actually ob- objectively wrong, meaning it's, it's wrong independent of what we, th- what we happen, to, happen to think about. Absolutely. It. And we are going to share some examples right now. But, uh, of course, again, I, I like to welcome those of you who are with us on a live uh, stream uh, on Facebook at uh, my uh, Facebook page, alfadi.sira. You can always, of course, uh, go and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Sira International, and uh, where we also uh, will be publishing these videos that we've been talking about. Uh, The videos that we've been talking about right now has to do with a new series that we called Atheism and Islam, where we use some of the moral conducts of Muhammad and used it as an example to those who are calling themselves ex-Muslims and atheists now to reason with us and see that uh, you know, those behaviors that prompted them to leave Islam, uh, rightfully so, of course, uh, indicate that there is much deeper, uh, you know, things are happening inside with them. And we want, of course, draw their attention to Christ as well. At the same time, uh, you know, there are many things, of course, in Islam in general uh, that somebody can be troubled by. I mean, we're not just uh, picking on these examples, but we're using Muhammad and his own actions simply because the Quran says, in the prophet, there is a pattern. There is a, uh, if you wish, a prototype uh, for the believers to follow. And if that's the way uh, the leader or the model uh, basically uh, uh, acts and behaves, then someone has to question the entire faith in general. However, that doesn't mean we ought to reject the truth that is found in Christ himself, who definitely, if you go and read the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see how much uh, higher standards did he set in terms of morality and behavior. Now, I'd like to welcome also our listeners, uh, uh, Let Us Reason uh, listeners here. We are doing this uh, special edition of Let Us Reason, where we are doing a live stream at the same time. Uh, David, uh, let's give a couple of examples. Let's start with one example, for instance, of those moral behaviors that Muhammad basically have done. Um, Well, I mean, the the, the most obvious one that we uh, tend to talk about a lot is Muhammad and Aisha. So um, it's just... It's it's common for, you know, your average Muslim on the street who's never heard of this before. If you say Muhammad had sex with a nine-year-old girl, they'll look up some horrible, deceptive article on, uh, you know, on some bad Muslim website that's attempting to lie about the history of Muhammad um, and, and say, no, 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 she was much older. She was 16 or 18 or 19 or something like that when Muhammad, when Muhammad married her, not realizing that's, that's complete, ab- absolute deception. Uh, the Muslim sources are totally consistent that Muhammad had sex with Aisha when she was nine. They'll say uh, there's, some, there's some disagreement about whether she was six or seven when Muhammad uh, married her, wrote the marriage contract with her, but they agree that she uh, was nine years old when Muhammad had sex with her and that she was uh, 18 when Muhammad died after being na- married to her for mm-hmm. nine years. Uh, let me just read a couple passages here. Um, so Sahih al-Bukhari, 5133 narrated Aisha that the prophet wrote the marriage contract with her when she was six years old, and he consummated his marriage when she was nine years old, and then she remained with him for nine years, i.e. till his death. 
Sahih Muslim 3481, it was narrated from Aisha that the Prophet married her when she was seven years old, and she was taken to him as a bride when she was nine years old, and she took her dolls with her. He died when she was 18 years old. So here you have the timeline, married at uh, six or seven, um, uh, consummated the marriage, i.e. he had sex with her at nine, lived with her nine years, and then he died when she was 18. So you have the entire timeline. There is an interesting comment there that uh, her dolls were with her when she was taken to Muhammad's house to to consummate the marriage. Her I'm, dolls. I'm like, her yeah, doll. let's explain why this is significant. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read a hadith, which includes a commentary on, on playing with dolls. So Aisha had dolls. Now, in case anyone's new to this, Muslims aren't supposed to play with dolls, right? They're, they're images. They're, Muslims are worried that you might, uh, you might, uh, um, you might uh, start worshiping them or something like that. And uh, so what happens here? Well, no, so, what happened is Toys R Us went out of business. That's yeah, what happened. it would. So Sharia. <laughs> <laughs> Sahil Bukhari, 6130, narrated Aisha, I used to play with dolls in the presence of the Prophet, and my girlfriends also used to play with me. When Allah's messenger used to enter my dwelling place, they used to hide themselves, but the Prophet would call them to join and play with me. Playing with dolls and similar images is forbidden, but it was allowed for Aisha at that time as she was a little girl not yet reached the age of puberty. Playing with dolls is forbidden in Islam, but it was allowed for Aisha at that time because she was a little girl who hadn't reached the age of puberty. Now think about this. Do the math for me, al I'm the perfect guy for that because I'm an engineer. <laughs> yep. Let's see if you can use your engineering skills to do this math. If you're not allowed to play with dolls unless you're prepubescent, you haven't reached the age of puberty. And Aisha was taken to Muhammad's house for him to consummate the marriage with her so that he got had sex with her. And her dolls were with her, meaning she's taking her dolls with her. What does that mean? I'm going to do a William Lane Craig, uh, basically, uh, uh, premise. Premise A, only girls who did not reach the age of, uh, basically, um, uh, you know, maturity, if you wish, are allowed to play with dolls. Aisha was playing with dolls when Muhammad was visiting her. Therefore, Aisha did not reach the age of puberty. Mm-hmm. So, Muhammad had sex with a prepubescent girl, a prepubescent nine-year-old girl. So, that's one of, uh, I think we're doing a, a dozen videos just on various topics um, related to the, the morality here. But um, So, th- th- that's a pretty common uh, problem to bring up for Muslims. What we're doing in this series is we're showing how it's a parallel problem for atheists, right? Because, I mean, not specifically Muslims who leave Islam and become atheists. For Muslims who see Muhammad's behavior, reject him as the ideal man, acknowledge that he has done horrible things, who recognize that a 50-plus-year-old man should not be uh, having sex with a prepubescent 9-year-old girl, who recognize that that is harmful to girls, harmful behavior, and they say we need to get away from that because of its, because of its immorality, and they say, okay, I can't reconcile my belief that this is the greatest man ever with my belief that he had sex with a little girl. And so they reject the religion— But for those who become atheists, they don't realize they have a parallel problem. Namely, on what basis in atheism can you condemn Muhammad's behavior 
as immoral. An animal would not hesitate to 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 have sex with a an, another young animal. An older animal would not hesitate to have sex with a with a young animal. Why should human beings uh, not do that sort of thing? And from an atheist perspective, there's no real answer. You can say I don't like that, or I hate that, or I view that as bad, or my society condemns that, or that's not allowed here. But there are other cultures where that was completely normal. It's that is completely normal in certain areas of the Muslim world, even today. So how can you say, well, my culture's right and other cultures are wrong? You just have no real basis on atheism. So we're pointing it out for mainly for the Muslims who are leaving atheism. I mean, leaving Islam and becoming atheists. Don't think that you're getting away from these problems. You're just creating new problems, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, again, the reason why we are using Muhammad uh, and his moral behavior as an example related to this series about Islam and atheism is to show you that the model for mankind, and in this case also the uh, basically the model and the uh, you know role model in this case to the believers and especially to the men in the Islamic community, is behaving in a way that is troubling many of these young men, as they should, of course, and even women, because they're seeing there is some disconnect that has taken place. You know, uh, in one end, you know, you're promoting and preaching that Islam teaches, you know, morality. In the other end, you have the model for Islam, the leader of Islam, the messenger of Islam, behaving in a way that is just so troubling. In fact, some of these behaviors troubled even the people of his days. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not talking just about, uh, you know, uh, today. In fact, I would argue that... When Muhammad died, the War of the Apostate was resulted from the fact that many of these Arabs felt relieved that he's dead, he's not going to go after us. So they decided to leave Islam, mm -hmm. not realizing, of course, that Abu Bakr was going to go after them anyway mm -hmm. to kill them. Yeah, there were, there, were, there were plenty of people who were only converting to Islam because they were terrified of Muhammad. In other words, it's, uh, if you were a Jew or a Christian, you had three, op you had three options. You could convert to Islam. You could pay the, uh, pay the jizya, or you could die, or we would we would, right. we would fight you until you, until you die. But you had the option to pay the jizya. If you're a pagan, it was convert or die. And so Muhammad shows up to a town with his army, and it's convert or die. Well, guess what? You're going to convert if you don't if you don't want to die. But the only reason you're you're not converting because you've seen some great evidence for Islam, or because you've concluded that Muhammad's a prophet, you're converting because you don't want to die. Well, what happens? You know, a couple years later, when that prophet dies. You think, cool, I'm done with this religion that I never believed in anyway. That's right. And so they left. And Not only that, brother, I mean, uh, these pagans were talking Arab pagans, mm -hmm. which indicates that Islam is just for the Arabs only because he wasn't giving the Arabs the third choice to pay jizya, right? Well, well, well how, 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 could, how, could, how could these Arab pagans even reject Islam when the Quran is the greatest thing ever written and anyone who even hears it is going to have to acknowledge immediately that it's the greatest thing ever written and then and so on? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's for a whole different series. <laughs> Nevertheless, okay, well, uh, that was one example. Uh, again, I'd like to welcome those who are joining us right now from Let Us Reason. This is a special edition of Let Us Reason. We are doing a live stream as we speak right now on Facebook. You can go and watch that uh, live stream at any time, of course, uh, in the future uh, on our Facebook page, alfadi.sira. You can also watch it when we release it on YouTube channel. So subscribe to our YouTube channel, Sira International. You can also uh, go to our website, Sira International, and listen to all of the previous podcast and the archive po podcast uh, called Let Us Reason, that section under our in our website. And with that in mind, also, I want to uh, encourage my brother here, David Wood, to share his information with you. How can people connect with you and where do they go uh, to listen or watch your amazing videos? 
Well, my YouTube channel is Act 17 Apologetics, but if anyone goes to YouTube and types in David Wood, uh, they'll get they'll, they'll they'll come across my stuff. They'll come across a lot of stuff that's written against me. I mean, videos against me as well, but uh, that's fine. Yeah. So again, it's Act 17. That's the, basically the word Acts, like the Book of Acts 17 Apologetics. Uh, another example, David, that you uh, like to share, maybe in the remaining few minutes here. Well, you you were mentioning that um, that some of the things even bothered the people of his of his time. And so a, a good example here is that uh, Muhammad eventually took the wife of his own adopted son. This was a, a huge scandal in early Islam, um, namely that Muhammad had an adopted son named uh, Zayed, and Zayed had a beautiful wife named Zainab. One day, Muhammad went over to visit his adopted son, his adopted son wasn't home. Instead, he saw his adopted son's wife, Zainab, practically naked. And Muhammad walks away and starts praising Allah because he realized that he was going to have her. Zayd found out about it. Zayd found out that Muhammad was lusting after his wife and praising Allah after he saw her practically naked. So he says, no problem. I'll divorce her so that you can have her. Muhammad says, no, 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 don't do that. You keep her. But Allah actually rebukes Muhammad for saying that. Allah rebukes him saying, I already revealed to you that you're going to take the wife of your own adopted son. Why are you telling him to keep his, keep his wife when you know what I'm going to do, when you know I'm giving her to you? So Allah rebukes him. That's in the Quran. That's Surah 33, verse 37. And so Zayd divorces his wife. Muhammad then takes the wife of his own adopted son. Allah gives his reason for telling Muhammad that he has to take this wife in Surah 33, verse 37 of the Quran. And the reason that Allah gives is, he says, the reason you have to marry the wife of your own adopted son is is so that other Muslim men will understand that it's okay to marry the wives of their adopted sons. Yeah, what a beautiful example. Yeah, and it's so ridiculous because... to give a revelation saying it's okay to do this, you don't have to then go and do it, right? Yeah. You could say it. You could say it without Muhammad needing to actually do it. But according to Allah, it's so important. It's so important that people understand that it's okay to marry the wives of their adopted sons that Muhammad has to do it himself. He, he doesn't just receive a revelation saying it's okay. He then also has to do what the revelation says, so it's, so it's okay. Now, the, the, the side problem here is since people still were complaining about this, since people were complaining about what Muhammad did, Allah went so far as to abolish adoption in Islam so that Zayd wasn't even his, his adopted son anymore. So Allah abolishes adoption in Islam to keep people from complaining that Muhammad took the wife of his own adopted son. So from that point on, Zayd was no longer called Zayd, son of Muhammad. He was uh, he, he was unadopted. He was unadopted. So exactly. he just went back to being, you know, becoming Muhammad. an orphan again. Yeah. And so, uh, so Allah throws a, throws adoption, one of the most humane practices in history, out the window to justify Muhammad's behavior. There's so many moral and logical problems here that it boggles the mind, and that's why even the people of Muhammad's time recognize this as a problem. And more, you know, Allah only tries to get away with this by creating more problems. But there are plenty of Muslims. There are plenty of Muslims who started on their way out of Islam by recognizing um, problems like this. Abdul Salib, who co-wrote uh, "Answering Islam" with Norm Geisler, he said that's the, that's what first started bothering him when he read that. When he read the historical background for Surah 33, verse 37, and learned about Muhammad lusting after his adopted son's wife and then taking her, and so on, and then all these revelations coming to justify it, 
And then Allah revealing in the Quran, no, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this so, so that people know it's okay to marry the wives of their adopted sons. He said, I was just sitting there thinking, is this really a problem that, that humanity has to deal with? I mean, how many people are sitting Absolutely. around going, gosh, I really wonder, man, my adopted son's wife is so hot. I'm wondering if I could have her. I wonder what God thinks about me taking the wife of my own adopted son. How many people struggle with that? I've never met anyone who struggles with that, right? That's right. And yet, that's such a big problem, according to the great God, Allah, that he has to have his prophet go and do something about this. Now, what makes more sense, El Fadi? What makes more sense? That this is really such a huge problem, even though we've never heard of anyone having this problem. It's really such a huge problem that Allah has to reveal this or that Muhammad is coming up with revelations to justify his behavior. Yeah. And hold your thought. We are going to continue this exciting discussion in part two. Again, we're wrapping up our first part of Let Us Reason. Thank you so much, of course, for joining us. You can always go to our website and uh, listen to the previous podcast at sirainternational.com. And we encourage you, as always, to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Sierra International. In fact, we make an appeal to you to even become a Patreon patron and give to our media ministry as little as $1 and as much as the Lord put in your heart. Until we meet again in part two, have a blessed day.